0: Are you not entertained? Get busy living
1: or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Lauder. Really fascinated today and I I think we're talking about a very important subject. We have a guest today by the name of Crystal Reneau. She's really an expert in this field. She's been featured in everything from Christianity Today to ABC News, the New York Times. She's got a very effective ministry, and she's helping women all over the United States. Crystal, welcome to today's podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Jay. It's good to be with you.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. And really, honestly, I think today not only are our listeners going to be educated, but I, I think I am. And you're dealing with a, I mean, you're helping a lot of people with something that quite honestly, most people don't think is an issue with women. And that's an addiction to pornography. Of course, we know that this is an issue that men struggle with and from all ages and all walks of life. And of course, that's been accentuated um, really since the invention of the internet and especially I think the cell phone because I know even when I was growing up, the only way that you could view pornography would be if you were to go to a store and buy a magazine. And a lot of people wouldn't do that for fear of being seen. And it really wasn't something that you could do in a clandestine way. I mean, it was rather harder to hide it than it is now where you can view pornography from a tablet or your back pocket phone. And not only that, it's really in today's society. Of course, we use social media, and I know you do as well, Crystal. But we use social media for our ministry and to get the word out. And I know that even on social media, I mean, you don't even have to be looking for pornography. Most of it's soft porn, but just even on social media, you can... Often stumble into pornography and not even being looking for it. So, I, I, what I'd like to do, Christa, if we may let's just start out and and let's hear. We want to eventually get around to talking about your ministry and about she recovery, but let's start off today talking about how did you get in, introduced to pornography and how did that really translate eventually into an addiction? Yeah, you
0: know, I'm thirty almost thirty eight years old, so my first exposure to pornography was before the real age of the internet or social media. I was only 10 years old when I was exposed to pornography and was exposed by a magazine that had been left out and available by one of my older brothers. he left it in his bathroom, obviously by accident. He didn't want anybody to have found that, but I did. And I was home alone and basically was flooded with kind of this mixture of like immediate, just, excitement, intrigue, like, what is this? But also kind of for the first time, kind of experienced shame. There was this feeling that came over me that said, this is not for you, and this is wrong, and yet I wanted to still engage with it, which, of course, is the nature of sin, but also it's the nature of being 10 years old. And so I decided to, that day, kind of feast on this material. And this wasn't what you would consider, like, your typical centerfold kind of playboy magazine this was a more harder core magazine that that depicted actual sexual acts between men and women and so it wasn't just centerfold models this was sexual acts and so it really was kind of my first exposure to sex so my sexual education was this magazine and these sexual acts taking place on paper which is obviously
1: it's very tainted and i think especially some younger people don't realize that that pornography is not a realistic picture of what sex really looks like
0: right at all Mm -hmm.
1: so now now backing up a little bit crystal were you a believer at this point in your life or were you a a non-christian
0: well, I grew up in what would be considered a Christian household. At that particular time, I we weren't attending church. My mom had fallen into clinical depression, mm-hmm. and she really was kind of the spiritual leader in our home. My dad was not. And so she, once once she kind of fell into that, we fell away from church for a while. But I do remember going to church early on, you know, in my life and, and knowing right from wrong and kind of having that, you know, the the conscience of that. Obviously, but not at that particular point. What I truly have identified myself as, like a Christ follower, but certainly grew up with with the right information in my in the household.
1: But it was later in life when you became a true believer. Yes. Okay, so yes. here you are, and you're you're pretty young. You you weren't looking for pornography. You you kind of stumble onto it, and and take us from there. How, how, how does it unfold?
0: You know, it's this is. You know, almost 30 years ago now, kind of the the whole kind of framework of what, of how the progression is a little fuzzy in terms of timeline and timeframe, but certainly as much as I could, and as long as I could, I would engage with whatever material I could find in the home for a number of months and years. One day the magazine wasn't there, and so I had to kind of figure out what else could give me the same feelings, the same kind of high, the same, you know, intensity, and You know, my parents did the right things. They had, you know, they had a code on the cable box. We had, once we had internet in the house, it was quote-unquote filtered internet. They did did the things that they thought they were supposed to do as parents, but we kids are sneaky and we know how to get around all of those things. My brothers actually had, they had figured out the code to the TV a long time ago. They shared it with me so I could watch MTV, like just all those types of things. And so I was able to kind of crack the code on the TV, watch movies watch stuff that wasn't appropriate, raid my dad's movie cabinet, which he did not have pornography, but he had movies that I knew I was not supposed to watch because they had nudity in them. And so I would fast forward through those movies and watch whatever I could. And then eventually, once we did get internet in the home, filtering is only so good, it's easily maneuvered around. And so I was able to navigate the internet. And really, even at age you know, 11, 12, 13, as internet is in our home, I still don't have a word for what I'm looking at. I don't have, like, pornography was not in my vocabulary. I didn't know what I was looking at, but it was naked people, it was sex, it was those types of things. So I would just look those kind of things up, or I'd go to chat rooms and find links that people were, were sending back and forth. And so I would engage in this behavior for, you know, nearly every day, at least in some parts every day throughout my adolescence and of course through with that came compulsive masturbation sometimes I would do sexual chatting online with strangers I would do phone sex lines, whatever I could to kind of get that same feeling that same connection that same drive forward with my behavior wow. and yeah and at 15 years old I have the opportunity to go back to church with my mom she was getting well and she she thought we should go back to church and so when I started visiting a new church in town that was recently opening and was able to engage in kind of that more again, more religious, more Christian influence into my life. And so with that came a compounding shame because I knowing that what I was doing was wrong but then adding on the sexual sin factor to that, compounded the shame that I experienced. But then also, you know, i I, I can vividly remember one sermon from the pastor, probably I was about 16 and I am hearing him talk about pornography from the stage. And actually he's telling me for the first time what this material is called. And, but he's talking about pornography, which is great for a pastor to talk about, about pornography, especially that at that time, this is, you know, again, 20 years ago. And but he's mentioning it only to the men in the room, you know, the, in the congregation. He's talking to husbands and, you know, young men, you know, pornography is, is bad, it's adultery, it's all these things. and It's, it's, it's not it's honoring to women, it's not, you know, and all these things. And But I'm hearing as a 15 or 16-year-old girl, you're watching something that men enjoy. You're watching something that men use. And so to me it was, there's something wrong with me. Not only am I engaging in sexual sin, but it's sexual sin that only men should be or supposed to be, what I'm, you know, engaging in. Which and only so compounds,
1: I, I'm sure, your the yeah, feelings of guilt that you already have.
0: yeah, yeah, that compounds the shame even further. So I have these heap, this heap of shame on me, this you know extra scoop on top. And finally, I decided to go to church camp. And really, the idea of going to church camp was the very first time that I and this is this, this is five or six years into this behavior that I really started to realize I have a problem because my first thoughts of leaving home for a week is I can't watch porn. And I'm like, I can't go to camp. I can't watch porn. But I obviously I couldn't tell somebody a good good enough excuse for why I couldn't go to camp. So I ended up going, which ended up being the best decision of my life because it was at that camp experience that I genuinely came to a decision of faith. And came to accept the Lord as my as my Jesus and the Lord as Savior Of course um, I would imagine
1: of- uh, crystal when that happens so you, you you develop a real relationship with Christ it's legitimate and mm-hmm. now you know I mean you already had those feelings of guilt but now yeah. you know that okay th- this has got to stop but as you you would know this well a lot of people with whatever their struggle is have that desire and say okay this is not right I need to stop this but how do I do it? Wanting to stop and being able to stop are, are two different things. So Yeah. Yeah. Keep going here.
0: And just becoming a Christian did not mean that I was without sin. Right. Of so course. and so for me it was more of the issue of I my father, my, my my earthly father, my dad, he was a good man, but he was not available to me emotionally. He traveled full time in his career and so like he wasn't engaged with me in a way that my young heart needed. For, for a dad and so this camp pastor was explaining that I have a father in heaven who loves me and who loves me unconditionally and was available for me whenever I needed him so that really was kind of the the catalyst to that that faith decision was I want that I want to know that I have a father who loves me, who loves me unconditionally but knowing and then knowing my condition was a porn addict it was you know could he love me as I am? Could he love me even as a sinner? And that's what I was told. He would love me even while I'm still a sinner. And and so obviously it did. It, it compounded again that shame of like, hey, I'm a Christian now. I should be able to get a grip on this, you know, but I couldn't. And part of that was, again, that isolation of not knowing who was safe to tell this because, I again, I felt like I was the only female. And so there was something like <laughs> innately wrong with me. And so if I told someone I kinda of had irrational thinking in terms of like what would that what would that mean? Well what would happen? What would they do? Would I be sent away? Like, you know, what what would happen if I if I if I told this? And so really, my secret became between me and God, and, and I didn't tell anyone. And I prayed for the opportunity to be able to tell someone, but it took three years for that prayer to, to come to fruition.
1: And I presume um, that during that time that you, although you were wanting to stop, I presume that you were not able to, that you were still struggling no. with addiction.
0: Yeah, yes, mm. absolutely. I still engage in that material and those behaviors. And really, there was kind of this, I really had this idea that if I did enough, Good stuff, but I did, I did enough church stuff and ministry, that maybe through osmosis, like this would stop. Like I would, I would, I would, I would lose the taste for it. And so I would, you know, I would sing on my on the worship team. I would leave the the, the Christian club in my high school. I did all these things, good godly things, hoping that I would get become sinless and I would get over this. That didn't happen, but God did intervene eventually, and I think he probably provided other ways out of that temptation many, many times, but it was really my my will that I didn't choose to accept them, and I, at 19 years old, I met a woman at church at, a, at an event that I was volunteering at um, who shared her story with me, and when you tell your story, especially in the church, sometimes we tell our testimony of faith, which is, largely flowery I think and we don't necessarily talk about the the hard and deep things that we've been through that God uh, has seen us through but she did she shared with me you know about her pornography history her her years of pornography use in high school and how she was addicted to it and that it was a little struggle for her and yeah she has temptation still but she knows kind of the steps out of that temptation and I was dumbfounded when she told me her story I was like Does she somehow know me? Like, does she she know my story and she's trying to bait me? Uh, But I really had the decision in that moment to either kind of walk away from this opportunity to really, you know, enter into some confession, or I could just say the the two most powerful words in the English language, which are me too. And thankfully, I went with the latter and said me too and share with her my story that day. And that really was kind of a jumping off point for me to enter into recovery. And to fully surrender, not just the behaviors, but really the things that were driving me back to pornography use, which are largely emotional issues. And was able to go to counseling and have accountability and thankfully have been porn-free now for about 17 years.
1: So when you began recovery crystal did you go to a person who specialized in porn addiction or was recovery with a a spiritual leader or was it just a normal counselor or uh, wh- wh- how how did you what kind of therapy did you did you seek for your recovery
0: Yeah I don't think I had the the thought of is there such a thing as a sex addiction counselor at that time? So I really just tried to find someone who would pour into me as a person of new and growing faith. And so I did go to Christian counseling, but with Christian mental health counseling, not just biblical you know, counseling with, with a pastor. It was true, you know, clinical counseling working on the deeper woundedness that i had had, which speaking to my father, my father wounds, but also my mom, you know, the way that you know, her clinical depression played a role in my young life and just just the isolation and loneliness and even feelings of abandonment that I had experienced from both of my parents were kind of driving that need for kind of a false intimacy through pornography. And so I worked through those issues, which was really, really important. And when you work on the kind of the four wounds of what's driving you back to pornography— you don't need it so much anymore because you've worked on what's underneath it. And so for me, it really was important that I that I worked on the true underneath issues with a trained professional.
1: In right, that right. So you feel like that part of what led to this addiction was an absentee father, that your mother's clinical depression that that you feel like because of the the fracture in those relationships, that's part of what caused you that you see it as you were seeking an intimacy, I guess, that you were not getting from your parents. Do I understand that correctly?
0: I mean, it's what, how it started. Obviously, there there's there's a point of, of accountability, an age of accountability where you know better and you're but you're an you're active addiction at that point. But I think in those early years, I, mean, I can look back and see myself, you know, at age eight, nine with an unhealthy relationship with food, too. You know, just kind of food for comfort. And I think that when... I found pornography replaced that and became kind of this this false intimacy, this false sense of affection, because it fed that pleasure center of the brain for me, and it made me feel comforted, it made me feel good, even while also making me feel bad. So so, so there's that there's that tension between the two, um, right. but certainly those those core wounds are important. You know they, they played a big part in in what what would have caused me to stumble into an addiction behavior.
1: So you feel like if if I understand you correctly, you're saying that that's kind of what was the launching pad. That's really kind of what started it was that need for intimacy, but it kind of grew from there where that maybe that were, that's what instigated it. That's not what continued it. Is that correct? Yes.
0: Yeah, that's correct.
1: Yeah. And then I, I would assume also as with any believer who's struggling with any sin, regardless of what it is, not only is there this, this battle that goes back and forth of I'm doing something that I shouldn't do. And not only that, but I'm a believer But then there's this one side that it brings some degree of comfort or pleasure, but then there's that flip side that there's this condemnation and this guilt. Uh I'm a Christian. Uh I shouldn't be doing this. I know better. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad follower of Christ. I'm unworthy. I'm assuming that you must have dealt with some of those emotions that people deal with regardless of what their addiction is, just that condemnation. And I would assume even because I know in my own life with the struggles that I've had in different areas that... Some of the things that the enemy tempts me to do—that as soon as I give in to those temptations, then he beats me up and tells me what a terrible individual I am. Absolutely,
0: hundred percent. That is the tension I lived in every
1: day. You know, I've been reading up on you, Crystal, and I'm really fascinated. And you know, you talked about the beginning of your story where this pastor was talking about this addiction that men had, and obviously, I'm very uneducated in this as well because I know that it's a struggle with men but I really haven't realized until the last few years that there is a significant portion of the female population that struggles with pornography addiction. I know that, that women are stimulated by sight. I, I don't think that women are stimulated by sight to the degree that men are. I may be wrong about that. It's just a perception that I have. Do you, do you, do you adhere to that? Do you think that's correct or Because I know you've mentioned that women seek out porn for different reasons, but do you feel like that, that that's an accurate assessment that, that men probably are a little bit more stimulated by sight and women's, the motivation for women is completely different than it is for men.
0: I don't know the motivation is different. I think that your, your, assessment is correct in that men are more visually stimulated, but I don't think that it's it, but women still are, you know, but it might not be to the same degree. Um, And I do think that if you're talking about pornography from an addiction standpoint, I think the core wounds are the same. You're still medicating something, men and women both. And, but certainly there's for women, a a more emotional component where we are seeking a intimacy and relationship or relationship. connect relationally whereas men you know it is largely more of a physical connection with what they're looking at and visual connection with what they're looking at and women are more emotional but that's how that's how God created men and women differently that we're more emotional and men are more kind of the physical and visual
1: so yeah you know I get that and on one hand, it, it's hard for me, and maybe it's hard for me to understand because I'm a man. I, I get the fact that men are, are are visually stimulated and that there's a satisfaction you know, that, that comes from that. And I can even see where it makes common sense. It's very pragmatic to think, okay, a man could, since he is visually stimulated, could look at something visually and that fill a gap in his life. But it's hard for me. I know it's true what you're saying. It's just hard for me to wrap my mind around how there is a emotional connection, you know, emotional fulfillment from pornography. Is there any way to explain that? Because again, it's, it's very practical to think that if, if what turns you on is what you see, well, then it doesn't take much other than you seeing. But when I think of an emotional connection, I I think of it in terms of communication. I think of it in terms of tangible interaction, whereas obviously pornography is not that. So is there a way to explain how there is this emotional satisfaction that comes about for women by viewing pornography?
0: Yeah, it is complicated. I don't have the science to really, you know, to, to walk you through it. But women's brains actually are are designed differently in that we can we can create and retain images and and have and have deep fantasy. In a way that men cannot. And so that's part of why we can think of a thousand things at once, and men are kind of singularly <laughs> focused. It's just, There's more capacity for storage in the woman's brain than there is for men, and that's just science. I can't give you the, the citation at the moment, but I could if you, if you give me a second. But um, with women, because we are more emotionally connected, we have a deep ability to retain and create fantasy there is a there is such a thing as we are creating in our mind what we are longing for. So for women, there's this longing to be known, to be connected, to to receive to receive love and affection. I um, mean, you know, attention, affirmation and affection are kind of those the things that drive us forward. And the way that pornography hijacks that is that it's giving us a, a false sense of, of intimacy. And so even though it's obviously pornography is a counterfeit of what true biblical sexuality looks like, it's still sex in that it's it's what we have been exposed to. It's what we've seen, it's what we've experienced. And when you are engaging this material as a woman, and I'll back up a little bit, when you are experiencing sex in general and you're experiencing an orgasm, Sorry for to be blunt. You are experiencing a a flood of neurotransmitter response in your brain, and that's all taking place in the pleasure the pleasure center of your brain. And part of that, of that of that of that chemistry mix is called oxytocin. And oxytocin is nicknamed the cuddle hormone because it help, because it bonds you to the thing that you're looking at. And so, with pornography you can become bonded to pornography through the act of masturbation because that oxytocin hormone is being activated. and so you're, being, you're, be, you're being bonded to pornography. And so largely women have been, If you, and this also makes a difference of when a woman has been exposed to pornography and what was her first exposure to pornography. For me, it wasn't romance novels and like story and all this romance. It was hardcore pornography. And that's unfortunately the case for most young women today. That's their first exposure to pornography. It's not some romance story. not Twilight. It's porn. It's hardcore pornography. And so we're becoming bonded chemically in our brains to be bonded to pornography where, yes, it doesn't make sense that we would be emotionally connected to hardcore pornography that actually demeans and objectifies and abuses women but we are, we are becoming bonded to it through the act of masturbation and by use of pornography. And so does that help a little bit with kind of understanding how yeah. that works?
1: I mean, wow, I, I'm – I'm just, it's just amazing to hear that perspective. And I've never looked at it from that standpoint. Of course, again, it's, I guess there's some limitation here because obviously I'm wired different. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I thought, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to be a little surprised to hear this because I think a lot of people don't think that this is an issue with women. I, I think part of that comes from bad example, but I think if if a woman walked down the street outside of my office building here on the 11th floor with no clothes on, I think probably there would be a lot of men that would find satisfaction in that and would probably mm-hmm. stare at her. Whereas there's this thought process that on the flip side, if there was a handsome man walking down the street with no clothes on, that the response of most women would be oh you know put your clothes on so you know it, it it it's a little difficult you know to to wrap my mind around I know it's true I've heard mm-hmm. I've heard this on the road as, as as a traveling evangelist but yeah it it's it's so fascinating to hear what the takeaway is for men and what the takeaway is for women and what is the motivator and what bring what yeah. part of it brings satisfaction because although they're both I, I, I agree with you. Both of them are are coming from core wounds. And, and I, I, I do agree that they're both being hijacked. Obviously, from from a different angle, though, a, a completely different yeah. angle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the comments yeah. that you made just in reading some of the articles on you, Crystal, is you made this comment that porno is not sex. Elaborate on that, if you would.
0: Yeah, pornography is not sex in that it's not sex as as it's intended to be. You know, pornography is... Yes, what's happening on the screen is real, and I want people to understand that. It's not like watching a, a, a movie or a television show where, they, where it's simulated sexual activity. Pornography is. It's hardcore, and it is sex, but it's not biblical sexuality. It's not biblical sex. It's a counterfeit, because what you're seeing on, on the screen is they're not in relationship. They're not connected. It's just body parts coming together. And so it's not as it's intended to be. And largely that detection is going to be more violent. It's going to last longer than what is real life. The, the things that you're, you're, you're watching. Um, the woman is not, doesn't look like that. She doesn't act like that. She's, you know, in, in real sex requires consent. If you're talking about, Pornography. Largely, these women and men who are on the screen—they're not really consenting these, to these acts. They, it is an act of of human trafficking. They are being coerced. They're being drugged. They're being paid. And so, there has to be a an element of consent as well. And so, sex, as we should look at it, is not what is pornography. Sex, as we should look at it, is what the biblical definition of sex is, which is men. You are responsible for the sexual needs of your wife, and wife, you are responsible for the sexual needs of your husband. It's giving, not receiving, and in pornography, it's all about what can I get, and how and how fast can I get it. Right, and and so that's not what sex is supposed to, it is or what it's supposed to be.
1: Right. Well, and I think it's important. And I, I was having this discussion with uh, the other day. I've got a younger son, and there were some guys over the house, and somehow pornography was brought up, and and I made the comment, you know, that it's important to understand this is that when, you, if you watch pornography, you've got to understand that it is acting, that kind of what you said, cool. th- this is not realistic from the standpoint of what happens between a marriage, a committed husband and a committed wife, that these are people who are, are acting. And so the, the whole component of that, that is missing in pornography, and I, I think somehow people, I don't think that people really care, but that that the true intimacy is missing, the true connectivity, yes. which obviously is God's purpose in that is beyond just having children, but it's, it's the unity, it's the connectivity that comes about. You know, even the scripture talks mm-hmm. about in the New Testament that, when two people come together, that there's a bond that comes together. And of course, pornography is absent of that bond. Yeah. Another thing, Crystal, in reading information about you that, that I, I find interesting is that part of your story is that you eventually went to a hotel room to meet someone and they mm-hmm. knocked on the door. If I read it correctly, they knocked on the door and then you kind of bailed out at the last minute and and decided, I guess, out of fear or, or, or what might've happened to you, you bailed out of that situation. Mm-hmm. But what I read in the information was, is that women tend to be less successful than men in recovery and that women tend to be more likely to have multiple partners, casual sex and affairs. I'd be curious, why is that? I mean, I was a little surprised by that takeaway as well.
0: It's said that roughly 81% of women who engage with pornography will eventually escalate to an in person encounter. And again, that goes back to the need for connection that women have, the need for, you know, to actually experience the things that they're watching because it's not enough just to watch it. And the same thing happens with men as well. There's a whole, you know, men end up with prostitutes and affairs and all kinds of things because eventually porn is not enough. I don't have the stats on men, but. of women who engage with pornography will eventually escalate that behavior to an an in-person encounter. So whether that is an affair, whether that is an emotional, it doesn't have to be a physical affair, it can be an emotional affair, but, you know, physical affair, emotional affair, it could be sexting, you know, anything that it's more more of an engaged behavior where you're engaging another human. And again, that, that speaks to their women's unique need and desire for connection and then and that one- on one intimacy connection. The pornography stopped satisfying that eventually. And that was true for me. you were talking about this about the story of me in the hotel room. And so this was just before I met that woman at church who shared a story with me. and I really loved my rock bottom experience was I had had this these years, I and mean, they were talking almost, you know, nine we're talking nine years of behavior with pornography it did escalate into sexual chatting and phone sex and things like that where I was connecting with people but it wasn't you know it wasn't tangible in, in, in front of me but I couldn't shake this addiction this this feeling that I needed more I needed something different I needed to connect in on deeper level and so eventually I kind of came to the conclusion that I need to get it out of my system or I need to figure it out is sex going to be the thing that will that will take me over the over the edge will it will it finally be enough and so I went on to a a porn site and oftentimes porn sites also have you know hookup links hookup sites as ads on them where you can basically arrange to meet up with somebody for a hookup a sexual hookup and so I went on that website I met somebody chatted with them for a little bit and we arranged to meet at at a local hotel and the thing about this was you know I was a Christian I knew it was wrong. I had been told through purity culture, you know, wait till marriage to have sex. And even while watching pornography, I wore a purity ring, you know, because I felt I was chaste because I was still a virgin. Never mind the fact that my mind was not pure and even the, the behaviors I was doing were not pure, but I had my virtue because I was a virgin, right? In my mind. And so I'm making this decision to meet this person. And I am i got to the hotel first, I arranged it. I wanted to feel like I had more control over the situation, and which I didn't. But I, I arranged it and I waited for them. I told them what room I was in. And so they're knocking on the door, expecting to have sex with me. And here's the thing about this, too. This was potentially extremely dangerous. No doubt. Because I didn't know who this person was. This person could have just been there to rape me or kill me, they, you know, abduct me for trafficking. Who knows? You know, so you don't know what was what was happening with this person and who this person really was. And so this was a, it, it was reckless. It was dangerous. And it was just stupid. And it was sinful. And so I am, I am waiting in this room for this person to arrive. And I'm sitting on the edge of the bed. I kind of look, looking ahead of me. I see the kind of the, a mirror. is is right in front of me. And I could see myself sitting on this bed, looking at myself in the mirror. And I just start shaking my head. I'm like, how did you get here? How did you get to this place where, you know, a little bit of porn at 10 years old has brought you to this place. And I, and I think for the very first time I've really heard, and I've been a Christian now, you know, for about three years, I think it was the first time I really sensed the Holy spirit really speaking to me. And it was kind of that rock bottom moment where the, just I had the impression of me that came, you know, if you, if you walk away from this, I will provide you a way out. I have so much more for you than this. And that was really the sense that came over me. And so I, I just kind of collapsed. You know, I cried. I was kind of, I really was in my desperate place at that point And just heard the knocking and I just ignored it until they went away. And thankfully they did go away and I was able to wipe my face and move on. Unfortunately, you know, I walk away from that and I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, I still don't know who to talk to, still don't know what to happen. And within, I, I mean, I'm I'm guessing it was within a week I met that woman at church. And so I do think that it was my final, it was my, it was a true surrender moment. It was like, okay, I'm, I'm done, but I don't know how to be done. So I need your help. And he, he provided that through that woman.
1: Wow. Let me ask you this, Crystal. Do you ever in your ministry, obviously dealing with pornography addiction, do you ever deal with couples because I know that there are some couples who as a married couple watch pornography?
0: Mhm. We do get quite a few married women. I would say probably the majority of our clientele are single, but I we do get we do get women coming to us who are married. Fairly regularly. I don't find that their husbands even know about it. And that's what I find interesting. There might have been a season where they engaged in it together, but probably their husbands didn't know that they had taken that behavior to a, you know, individual level where now they are engaging in pornography without him. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what takes place is that it might start out as they're watching it together, thinking it's going to be good for their, marriage bed which it's not and that woman is now engaging in, in in pornography by herself engaging in masturbation by herself you know no longer engaging with her husband which obviously becomes a problem and becomes a problem for the men as well men become hooked on porn and they stop being interested in their in their wives. same thing happens to women is that they end up kind of internal internalizing with their sexual needs and they don't express them because pornography provides a different satisfaction it's a stronger bond even than what they experience with their husband
1: right yeah I knew a couple that you know she they had told me we were talking and they had broken free from that but neither one of them they said watched it independently of one another but they had watched it together Mm -hmm. in the in the hopes that it was going to kind of spice up their 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 sex life and yeah. I just wonder if that's something that it's something that you see on a common basis where couples do engage in that. It sounds like from your experience that the couples that do engage in that, it eventually, it translates into one or both beginning to view it independently of one another.
0: Yeah, that, that is what I see most most frequently.
1: Right. An, another thing that I I read was that eighty percent or close to that, close to eighty percent of women who struggle with pornography. Of have had some form of abuse. And that, that figure to me was significantly higher than what I would have expected it to be.
0: Yeah, we have that statistic as well. And- I think that's something that does translate to our clientele that we see that there is some form of, of abuse that might not be sexual but there is some form of abuse whether it's physical, emotional, even spiritual abuse um, and sexual abuse that there's some kind of trauma in the, in the early childhood or adolescence that, that they are not satisfying medicating rather with pornography or acting out behaviors and such as that it's it's terribly sad and I think that if we if we had enough men and this is the thing about men as well is that men don't talk about their sexual abuse at all. So well, while women might eventually admit to a sexual abuse encounter, men don't. And I do kind of wonder how deep of an issue it is for men as well, who are hooked on pornography or, or have have an inappropriate sexual conduct. How often sexual abuse is a factor in their in their childhood? as well. Unfortunately, childhood sexual abuse is is so prevalent and so widespread. I don't think it's just girls, it's it's boys as well. Correct. And so yes, I I do think that there's a factor there that might cause a a propensity towards pornography use. And a lot of the times you would hear from young, young women who have experienced sexual abuse that they did engage with pornography, seeking out pornography, and almost as a way to understand what happened to them, kind of learning, trying to figure out through research almost, like what was it that I experienced, and so they end up engaging in pornography. And so that 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 trauma, that early trauma, again, speaks to the fact that wounding is what drives the addiction forward, is that need to medicate and have that shock of neurotransmitter response to the brain to help you cope and to, and to just deal with what's happened instead of dealing with really what's underneath that and, and working through the sexual
1: abuse issues. Crystal, obviously from the time that you began recovery, I mean, it was a long road and it didn't happen overnight. How long was it from the time that you began recovery till the time that you completely broke free from pornography?
0: Um, thankfully, pornography itself was something I was able to kind of break free from, fairly quickly mainly because I had accountability software put on my on my computer my device at that time and I had that woman at church who she became an accountability partner and eventually a mentor and a friend to support me through as as an act of accountability the things that were harder to overcome were, were the masturbation issues, which we could have a debate on whether <laughs> masturbation is a sin or not, but I consider it a problem. And so for me, it was an ongoing issue for a while. And really, again, talking about women's brains, fantasy, I didn't need porn, right? To kind of create, to, to refer back to those images, to have the fantasy, to, to accomplish the task. And so masturbation was harder because that really was the thing that actually causes the brain to respond and to have that, the, the pleasure center neurotransmitter response to feel better. And so that was the harder part for me. I think it took, you know, off and on. I had success with sobriety with that, but it really was working through other issues that, that helped me to eventually let that go as well. And I would say if I, if I entered recovery at 19, I probably had full sexual wholeness probably within 18 to 24 months from there. But again, that's, that's, Having accountability and support and working through issues. So, well, if you're not doing that, if you don't have that, it's
1: much harder. Yeah, and I was going to, that's what I was going to say, that part of the reason for your success, I mean, obviously God played a role in that, and obviously therapy did, but yeah. that accountability yeah, yeah. was obviously a huge part of that as well. Accountability is mm-hmm. good for anybody. Crystal, talk a little bit about, we're going to have listeners today, people who are believers, non believers that are listening to this podcast. You have a great ministry called She Recovery. I want you to talk a little bit about that. And just also how people could connect to she recovery, that may have this same struggle.
0: Yeah, she recovery. It was birthed out of my own experience, my own story. I started this ministry. It started out as a recovery group at my church in two thousand and seven. So I've been doing this doing this work one on one with women for fifteen years now. But it started out as just me and a few women in a, in a, in a church classroom meeting. Eventually became what it is today. We offer we have we're entirely virtual, so all of our services are available worldwide. Um, we have an online community where you can chat with women who are in your own kind of situation and just that's kinda of, sticking your, your tiny toe into recovery is that online community. And then we also have virtual recovery meetings that take place every single day of the week. And that is kind of sticking your whole leg into recovery. You're jumping in. You're, you're way now into recovery, working with our ladies to facilitate those. And they're facilitated by women who are either have, have been in recovery for a number of years. They either have a counseling degree or are coaching certified. And so they are able to help you and work through that. It's a great time for prayer and discipleship and, again, accountability and support. Those meet every day of the week. We also offer virtual counseling and coaching services as well. If you're ready to like like jump your whole body into the water and you're ready to really dig deep into kind of the what's underneath your acting out behavior, we have those services as well that we offer, again, entirely virtual, all online. So there really isn't, there's no, it's all telehealth for that and secure and safe. And we are ready and able to help you out at com.
1: Man, I love what you're doing, Crystal, and I love the fact, I think one of the problems in today's church is that issues like this, and this is not the only one, but there are many issues that are almost, well, that's why we call this taboo talk, because some of the issues that should be addressed in the church, that should be talked about in the church are not, and I think this is one of those issues, and I love the fact that you're doing what I believe God wants everybody to do, which is take their pain and take their story and use it as a sounding board, as a platform to help other people. I think that's biblically true from 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, where it talks about that God gives us help so that we can transfer that help to other people who have the same struggles. And I think your ministry is extremely important. I think there's a lot of people who don't understand that this is not just a man issue, that this is an issue with women, and that it should be talked about, and that there is help available. And just kudos to you, much respect Kristen, as we kind of wrap this thing up today, I know that obviously recovery is important and accountability is important and a network of other people who can relate and understand. But I also know that part of the reason that you were able to break free and and find this freedom is because of your relationship to Christ. I know people especially who listen to this podcast who are believers, regardless of what their struggle is, have gone through some of the same condemnation, guilt, where they feel as though they're a failure, they can't seem to get success over the issue at hand. But what would you say to people from a spiritual context, Crystal, who are struggling with this, who who are believers, who are sensing the guilt and condemnation, who maybe feel there there is no escape, or I'm afraid to come out, I'm afraid to tell anybody, where would I go, who would I talk to? What would you say to them from a spiritual perspective? I mean, you and I both know that the Scripture teaches that the Son of God came to set people free. But Mm -hmm. is there anything that you would say from a spiritual context? I mean, I know your relationship with Christ has played a huge role in who you are today and the success that you're having in ministry and the help that you're able to give to others. But I just wondered if there's anything that you would say from a spiritual aspect to people who are struggling with this. Maybe it's in regards to guilt. Maybe it's in regards to condemnation. Maybe it's in regards to forgiveness.
0: Yeah, Scripture tells us there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So con- the condemnation and the shame that you feel are not from God. That's, that's something that I had to learn myself: is, is to really discern the voice of God from the voice of the enemy, who is speaking over me. Because even in recovery, there was a point where I was like, I can't help others. I can't be. In, I can't be in ministry. But there's no condemnation. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is wholeness and help and hope in Christ Jesus. And so if you're experiencing shame and you have this voice in your mind saying that you're dirty, that you're bad, that God doesn't love you, that you are too far from God to come back, that's that's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's not what Christ is saying to you. Christ is saying, come to me, run to me, come back to me, and I will give you rest for your weary spirit because I've experienced that for myself. And the thing that you're struggling with, pornography, all of those other just behaviors it's not who you are your identity is not i'm an addict my your identity is not i am a sinner your identity is i am a and i'll speak to women who are listening you are a blood-bought daughter of jesus christ you are fearfully and wonderfully made you are the the head not the tail and you are able to through the help of the Holy Spirit, and through the help of others, find freedom. And if it was true for me, it's true for you. And there are resources, resources available to help you take those next steps in front of you.
1: Well, Crystal, that's a great word, and it's especially to those ladies who have a relationship with Christ. And I would add for those that maybe listen today that don't have a relationship to Christ, you may remember earlier, Crystal talked about that there was a fracture in the relationship with her father. And that maybe initially that this may have instigated from wanting that that father figure, that relationship that she didn't have with her dad. I would say to those that are listening today, as on top of what Crystal's already said, that if you don't know Christ, that there is a father who does seek a relationship with you, regardless of your baggage, regardless of your struggle, regardless of even your addiction, that that he loves you and that he wants to set you free and that he wants to connect with you. And the way that he does that is simply by your willingness to turn to him, asking for forgiveness, believing that he died for you, that he rose again, believing that when he hung there on the cross, he was hanging not just so you could have a ticket to heaven, but so that you could know him intimately in a personal way. And that he says that if you would be willing to come to him, to simply call out and put your faith in him and him alone, that uh, he would heal you. And he would forgive you and even restore you. Crystal, so much respect to you. Thank you so much for what you're doing to help people with this addiction. I hope many people will reach out to you. Again, that website is, say it again one more time, Crystal, for our, our listeners.
0: Yeah, it's She Recovery. So it's just like she as in S H E, She Recovery.com. And if I can just real quickly. Promote our summit. We have a virtual summit. So if you're looking for kind of a next step on your recovery or to learn more about these issues, we do have a virtual summit. It's entirely online for women, for teen girls, parents, counselors, church leaders to learn more about these issues and to get the help that they need. Taking place October 17th through the 21st of 2022, and we'd love to see you there.
1: Crystal, thanks so much. Continue blessings on you and what you're doing. Thank you for being a voice especially in an area where a lot of people are afraid to come out and talk about it.
0: And thank you for having me and letting me share about it. I'm very thankful. Thank you.